show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, doctors, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the Healthcare Wrap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists. Where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back to the Healthcare Wrap. I'm Jared Johnson, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Peter B. How you doing, Jared? I'm fantastic. How are you? Good. You know, sometimes people think the number 10 isn't that big of a deal, but I just want to throw this out there that when you reach double digits, you know, things just seem to take on a whole new life. Yes. Well, I do have to disagree about the importance of the number 10. I grew up on Sesame Street, and I'm just going to say... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That was twelve, but you remember that song. Ten was a huge thing. So I love number ten, and that's what we're on. And I'm very happy everyone has been joining us, subscribing, listening, giving us feedback, questions. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. So not just ten. What you're saying is we got to get to at least episode twelve to make that song valid. Yes, of course. All right, I can I can roll with that. <laughs> With that. That's good. Yeah, this is how we roll, I guess. So I let, agree. let's do this. Let's uh, let's give the, the the listeners here a little bit more. I, I want to give them a little bit more from you, Peter. Oh no! I want to help them get to know you a little better. Okay. So what do you actually, have in mind here? Well, I have some rapid fire questions. <laughs> okay. These right. are really simple. Like I don't want you to think about them too much. These are just top of your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give you two choices, and you just give me which one you prefer. All right. Let's do this. Okay. There's just a few. These are just a fun little exercise that we're going to try. Okay. So here we go. Uh, the first one is Star Trek or Star Wars. Ah, oh, that's easy. Star Wars. Hunting or gathering. Gathering. Mac or PC? Gaming PC, designing Mac. (laughs) Uh, Here's a big one. This is actually the reason why we kind of even have these rapid-fire questions. Twizzlers or Red Vines? I'm going with Twizzlers. Interesting. Yes, Uh, yes. Okay. Jimmy Buffett or Metallica? Can I go neither? You can go neither. Neither, neither. Okay. Pre-approved or beg forgiveness? Mm, I I always go beg for forgiveness. (laughs) Uh, Julius Caesar or Mahatma Gandhi? Gandhi. Little House on the Prairie or Lost in Space? Lost in Space. Trust Fall or Lone Wolf? Mm -hmm. Lone Wolf. And Harmony or Progress? Progress. There we go. That's the end of the rapid fire questions. But How did I do? I think that gives us a deep psychological profile of you and we'll leave it to listeners to interpret that profile. Yes. Uh, I don't know what you're going to get out of Twizzlers, but let, I, you know, be interested to find out. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. It was actually pretty fun. Well, that's just kind of a start to the idea here because even that last one, Harmony or Progress, when we've recently had a little conversation about that on LinkedIn, for instance, that led to some rather unpopular comments, which is actually a theme for today, which is unpopular opinions. I was wondering where your segue was coming in. And not the one you ride either. 
<laughs> good call. Good yeah, call. Yeah. And where, <clears throat> as I wear the amazing top hat of marketing awesomeness. I love that hat. S makes you look so much like Abraham Lincoln, on, especially when you have this beard going. He's got, a, he's got a beard going right now, and I really – actually, we both do. We both lost our razor. Yeah, we, so no, we if, did. If you don't know what we look like, just you know, picture some beards now. Yeah, picture what you pictured formerly and now just add a beard. Right, like in those Etch-a-Sketches when you could bring in like, you know, the little fine pieces of metal and you'd use the, the you know, the metallic pen and you'd bring them and you could draw, you know, eyebrows and all that. You just draw beards on us now. So, but back to your segue. Sorry about that. It's okay. That's actually exactly what this is like. Awesome. So, no, we're going to have a little bit of fun today and this may just spark some controversy yeah. I'm just warning you in advance. I consider myself forewarned. What we want to do is that we've actually posted this on LinkedIn too. We want to see if you share our unpopular opinions. This is something that I've, you know, I've seen on Facebook before, not related to really business or healthcare or anything, but people will just say, hey, tell me your unpopular opinions and people will throw everything out there. And I remember I riled somebody up a lot once and all I said was, I like fossil fuels. Yeah. <laughs> Did you even know what it meant? You just put it out there? I just put it out there. Oh, that's so good. And I got flamed like yeah. by people I don't even know. You actually probably learned about the pros and cons of fossil fuels by simply putting out a statement. Yeah. And it, I mean, I'm like, this is a joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> so just a blanket statement. That's so beautiful. Uh, renewable energy for me as well. Just, yeah. just for the record. Love it. So we might be doing a bit of backtracking throughout this episode. So this could get hot, is what you're saying. <laughs> I think it could get interesting one uh, way or the other. And uh, we have quite a few of them, actually. So we're going to start with – this may actually turn into a couple of episodes when we have to uh, have a part two for this. So we're going to see how quickly we can get through them. A continuation. But wow. These all, mm. these all have to do with healthcare, marketing, and technology. Okay. So they're things that sometimes we're not all on the same page. And that's, that's okay. That's part of the goal here is just to say – Let's have some conversations, and they are in no particular order, and we have some of you who have commented on LinkedIn, and we're going to be sprinkling those in as well, so keep an ear out. Maybe we're going to throw your unpopular opinion out here in the list, too. Yeah. So we're, let's do one through ten. Okay. And, and these, again, are in no particular priority order. We're just throwing them out there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, without further ado, our unpopular healthcare opinions. All right. Here we go. Sounds like a segment. It does. Well, it is kind of, in a way. Yeah, but well, it's, a, it's not rap battle. This is just a whole new one that we're putting out there. Why don't we just do this? Well, we'll still call it rap battle, and it'll be like ten mini battles. All right, let me scratch this rap battle in. Rap battle. So, for those of you who are just joining us, and thank you by the way for just joining us, you can engage with us on Twitter at Healthcare Rap. And find an entire archive of episodes at healthcarerap.com. Yep. So for those of you who are just joining us, Rap Battle is where we challenge an assumption that we feel has been holding back healthcare marketing. And in this case, we have 10 of them. <laughs> we actually have 20 of them. <laughs> it's but a we're nice gonna package of them today. Yeah, how quickly we can get through these. So right. it depends. So anyway, here's number one. I feel like Yelp is overrated for hospital reviews. Not online reviews overall, but Yelp in particular. Mm-hmm. And this is based on da, 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 data. It's based on data. No, tell me it's not true. <laughs> From my standpoint, so just when, when we have looked at our Yelp, Facebook, and Google reviews consistently... From month to month, from quarter to quarter, over the last couple of years at least, by far we have the fewest number of ratings on Yelp and the lowest average star rating on Yelp. 
yeah. for hospitals. And I know we all kind of, we're trying to consumerize everything and think about things in the same way we think about a restaurant or you know a shopping center or somewhere else we're going. But the fact is, there are still other places where people, at least from our data, people still prefer to leave a review somewhere else besides Yelp. I just I've always felt Yelp is uh, you know I. I think we're not talking apples to apples here, too, because I think and I'll just come on and say it. You know, I've always disregarded Yelp reviews for hospital for hospitals because I feel it's not apples to apples. I think I just really feel like in Yelp, a Yelp representative, a Yelp executive might say something different. But I always felt like Yelp really fit into the restaurant reviews. I just never felt like it was a review site for products or especially for healthcare. So I might be old school that way, but I think there's much better forums to leave specifically for healthcare uh, than Yelp. And that's just my opinion on it too. I like it. Well, again, this, this is purely opinion today. Sometimes opinion is based on data though. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's why we want to distinguish the point. Doctor reviews online are very underrated, mm-hmm. but reviews on Yelp, we just have to give it with a grain of salt because one vendor in particular, and it's one that we tend to focus on, but for us, we get anywhere from five to 10 to 30 times the number of reviews on Facebook as we do on Yelp. So my question would be to you, for everyone listening to this podcast, uh, because you are looking at the data, let me let me turn it around so that the people on the podcast can hear. So what, what do you do or, or how do you look at Yelp in terms of validity of, of reviews and validity of, the, of what you see on, on Yelp? Do we even worry about it? And then the second part of that question is, for the people out there that may work at a health system or, or a hospital, what should they do with Yelp? Do you have, do you, yeah. And do you have an opinion on that? Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just going to ask you that because I think it's a really good point. So I will say we <laughs> monitor each one and we respond as necessary and we keep our Yelp pages up to date. We look at them and we consider them in aggregation of all the other reviews we get on other sites. And it was just a noticeable drop when I couldn't believe how, how many fewer we got there versus other places. And we could draw our own conclusions from there. So uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from our listeners as well what uh, what you think. What about Google reviews uh, with healthcare? And that's kind of part and parcel of this. Does that does that have any play in terms of data or what we what a uh, healthcare system might want to do in terms of how to how to react to that? Absolutely. Uh, in comparison to Yelp, uh, Google reviews. I mean, because it's appearing there at your search, you're going to see a star rating. You're going to see the five stars right there, and that visual next to it when you're searching for it. That is going to make a difference. There's a lot more exposure to that because with Yelp, you have to go to Yelp right to look for it. Right, In Google, you're just organically looking for it. If you're if you're trying to find the location of a clinic, you Google it. Well, the location, the Google My Business profile is going to show up mm-hmm. with a star rating under it. Yeah automatically so everyone should hear me loud and clear i'm not saying online reputation is important i'm saying just the opposite i'm saying it's very important and it's important to dig in enough to distinguish between one site versus the other and just go off of the data to be able to when you have limited resources where do you focus and if you're even deciding where do you advertise that kind of thing so there's that good enough for me but this is good these are good questions that you've got to ask about you know okay cool yeah all right, so number two. Number two, the uh, electronic health record isn't the only thing to blame for less physician engagement. It's the fact that most physicians haven't been trained on it. Or trained well enough. Or trained well or enough. Or still don't like it. I mean, we, we can we can spend the rest of this episode, really the rest of this season, looking at the statistics of how many hours per day physicians are engaged with the EHR, and those things aren't going to change 
but the perception is that the EHR itself by itself is the sole cause for all the woes in the healthcare system today, particularly in phys- with physician engagement, everything from less eye contact during an appointment, which, I mean, I agree to that. I have to go in there prepared for the appointment one, one way or the other, but uh, this is more on the technology side. This really doesn't have anything to do with marketing. It's just the thought of really what's to blame. Well, there's not a simple answer, but the the technology itself, it can be implemented in better ways to reduce uh, that stress on physicians. And yeah. I think there's a, there's a growing community in health IT that is trying to improve and optimize the EHR itself. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. Number three. Number three. So this is going to be a fun one. When I look at click-through rates and open rates, which, again, some days it's just a lot of data, a lot of numbers going across my screen. Yeah. A 1% or 2% click-through rate or a 15 or 20% open rate on an email, there are industry standards anywhere between those numbers. I feel like there's anything really to brag about right. there because that means still the majority of people aren't either looking at it at all or engaging with it in the slightest bit. Right. It's just a reality check of... If we're happy with a 2% click-through rate because the industry average is 1.8 you know, or whatever, and I know it's different than that now, but it's, it's in this range. And you know, we've been thrilled when we've gotten up to you know, a 5% click-through rate on, on you know, certain PPC channels. You know, we've been happy with that. And then you know, one day it just dawned on me. I'm like, okay, hey, we were happy with that 5% in that case, but what about the other 95% of people? Are we just annoying them to death? Like, is there like besides we're not annoying them to the point where they're unsubscribing or reporting us, yeah. you know, you know, a, a spam complaint or anything, but are we just annoying them? There's a saturation point where are we just blasting them too much? And then the real question I think too is it comes down to did you do the targeting right? Because if you're not getting more than one to two percent click-through rate or a 15 to 20% open rate, I think you really need to look inward and find out, did you pick the right list? Did you fully understand the, the content and, and the people that want this content or go, want to go to this conference or want to watch this video? Because again, if you're, if you're not pulling better numbers than that, don't blame the system. Don't blame what used to be. Look at why they didn't. Because I think that there's a huge, I mean, what we see, you know, with some of our, that we put out in, in, uh, in our email blast programs, I mean, you're, you're seeing in certain situations when we invite people to conferences, we're looking at sometimes 60, 80% open rate on some of this stuff. And, you know, because it's, we know specifically it's those people that have gone before and want to keep going. So, you know, I fully agree with you. You know, we shouldn't be resting on our laurels of industry standards. We need to, we need to hold ourselves to higher standards with this stuff, and it's got to be in the targeting. It's got to be. Well said. Well said. All right, number four. That's a good one. Number four. Most people who think they understand how to get on page one on Google really don't. <laughs> and and so, <laughs> okay, uh, Peter, how do you do it? Yeah, uh, lots of money, lots of money, right? That's exactly how you do it, right? No. What have, what have we found out with this? Is it's. Uh, well, and then some, some people are like, well, I'm going to hire an agency and we're going to do SEO and we're going to be amazing search engine optimization. We're going to raise ourselves up to the very top. And I don't think there's any like silver bullet quick answer to this, right? That's right. that's what I've known over the years is it, it's a slow moving process. It is. And so when we talk about algorithm updates, the reason the reason that's ever brought up is to make the point that what got you on page one a year, two years ago, five years ago isn't going to work anymore. And you have to understand so many different pieces of the algorithm that it's not as simple as, well, all we have to do is tag it right. There's three keys right now. I mean, the principles have always been the same. One is just creating 
compelling content that people actually want to find. The second is having really good on-page SEO. That's mostly tagging the content and the back end. That's a structure thing. That's one of the easiest ways to just make sure you, you are giving yourself the best chance. Yep. And the third is off-page SEO. So usually quality links back to you. This is oversimplifying it, but the point is when we get to deal with you know, folks coming up and saying, hey, we should be on page one for everything, for every keyword. Well, the major point here is that you got to pick and choose now because some of the algorithm updates in the last few years have basically just disintegrated any advantage of keyword stuffing, of putting every, you, you can't say, hey, we want one page to be uh, number one for 20 different keywords. Like that's, that's rare. It may be possible still, but that's the exception. You usually have to pick and choose which keywords and which topics and which content. Uh, so that's my thought. And you know what I noticed there is the three things that you said are all things that you can do and you need to do. In other words, there's not any agency out there. And, and I think, and I call BS on that. You know, there are agencies that we are, you know, we are the best at SEO. We'll get you on page one. It really comes down to, like you said, compelling content. That's yours. That's, or, you know, that's your health system. That's you figuring out what is important to your constituents, your patients, your whoever it happens to be. It's making sure that the, the meta tagging and everything is on, on your page is correct and it's good. Again, on you to make sure that you understand the flows and the intricacies of of what touches what and what connects with what. And then the final one is, this one is a little less on you, but the, the you said the external link's coming in, right? Yep. So really that's the only one you kind of don't have full control of. But two of the three are really on on you as the, as the person that's either creating the page or, or wanting this to be on page one. So... I don't know. I guess it's just, it's, it's kind of in your realm of possibility. Uh, but one thing I will say is don't ever tell your boss or your executives that you can make it happen like that. Cause it's not going to happen like that. Yeah. That's a great, a great way to summarize that there aren't any shortcuts anymore. No. And there aren't any surefire guarantees. We just have to be knowledgeable that it's, that it's a complex process and it's what you're just saying, Peter, we, we don't give guarantees there anymore. Yep. Make good content. That's the only guarantee right there is make, make good content. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number five. All right. Number five. This is one that, man, you talk about, like, I think I lit up a firestorm on LinkedIn with this one. Yeah. This was a couple months back. <laughs> this is everyone doesn't need their own personas and journey maps. Let's share. Mm, really? <laughs> and this is with some friends of mine who that's what their agency does is yeah. personas, journey mapping. This was in the midst of a project where we knew we needed to update what we had and the thought was daunting at one point of, do we really have to start from scratch? Like, I can get you pretty far along that journey map, and we can we can tweak and we can send out our surveys and get back our data to kind of tweak this. But we're not the only hospital with users who are trying to access A, B, and C or accomplish these certain number of actions on our website. We're not the only ones. So at the end of the day, this didn't go anywhere. But there was a thought of, are there some things that we could openly at least get out there? We treat our own personas and journey maps like they are intellectual property when mm. really anyone who's been involved could guess some of it. If I'm out there on social media often enough and I'm reading what other people are dealing with and seeing and I am reading industry research yep. about those patient journeys. Yeah then I can get us partially there without having to start from scratch and create my own. So at least you have a structure, a bone structure to work with. Is right. That what you're saying? Yeah. Right. 
I don't, yeah, I don't, I think there's something to be said for templating and there's something to be said for not starting from scratch, but I just feel like this one in particular, I don't, I don't know if I agree with this because I think that every company is different. Every organization is different. Every organization has different needs and goals and strategies. Even if you put yourself up against another uh, similar organization like I still feel like okay you might share some of the same you might share some of the same strategies and and goals and things like that but I still think they'd be different enough that I don't know I don't necessarily think you could share the journey maps and I just don't know if that's something that they that you could do like I just don't feel like that's something that that could happen so I would I would I would agree with you on the fact that you're not going to share with especially with your your competition in a in a market for sure. Yeah. I would think as long as it doesn't keep you from progressing and making decisions that you need to make. If you say we can't move forward without fleshing this out from A to Z from scratch. Yeah. Then if it's not holding up business and I totally see where you're coming from on this. Yeah, okay. That's that works for me. That works for me. All right, number That's- Six. So number six is from is one of the comments that came into us from Toby Madu. Okay. Thank you, Toby. All right. So here we go. Technology that changes patient behavior bottom up has more potential in improving population health than health IT reforms top down. So I think he's referring to health IT reforms. Uh, Toby, you can correct us if, if I'm not going the right direction with this. <laughs> but I assume that means regulations, uh, mandates, government, health yeah. IT reforms. Right, right. So mandates for meaningful use uh, on that side of the coin, top down, rather than uh, use of technology that changes patient behavior has more potential to improve population health. I think I see what you mean just in the fact that if we are looking at what patients actually do, yeah. how they actually use technology instead of just assuming or instead of only creating our health IT strategy based on what is mandated from the top, Yeah. then yeah, I can see there's a lot more potential when you're actually figuring out what patients are really actually going to do in their behavior. Hopefully, I wonder if that's what you meant, Toby, but we'll, we'll find out. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sending that in, Toby. Yeah. Uh, number seven is also from a user submitted comment. Peter, you want to go with this one too? Yeah. From Aaron Moriarty Wade. You had said that I'm amazed by AI applications in surgery and other aspects of healthcare, but less excited about consumer applications like the Amazon Alexa on my kitchen counter being involved with my healthcare. That is interesting. Interesting. I love that one. Thank you very much for that, Aaron. I have seen a ton of surgeries. I'm kind of a fanboy of surgeries, if you haven't noticed that. I am also of that ilk, to tell you the truth, Aaron, because something that sits on your counter that is able to literally just by voice activation bring up a web page. Yeah, it's cool. Again, you know, I talked about it earlier. Are we talking apples to apples here? I, I don't think we yeah, are. Yeah, probably not. That's where it sits for me is when you have something that is literally changing outcomes for, of health for a family or for an individual over, well, something that's going to basically, you know, play a song for me. The waiting there is quite different. That's all I'm going to say on that. We're hearing... Yep, there are applications with Amazon, with Google Home Assistant, with Siri, with all sorts of voice search, voice commands, and they are coming, and a lot of them are already here, but are are we resisting because it's something new, or are we resisting because we haven't been educated on how it's going to benefit us, or does it butt up against that line of too creepy, you know, too... Too yeah. much involved, so I don't. I think there's a lot of a lot of ways we could go with that, Aaron. But I really appreciate that comment. It's already here, so uh, just another perspective on it. Yeah, I think we can kind of leave it at. I'm very excited for the prospect of what's coming, and if it's as easy to to say, "Hey, Alexa, renew my prescription," you know, that kind of a thing, then I can see the types of applications that are that are going to be extremely valuable to us in a consumer setting in my home 
when I'm not at the clinic. And the power of that is is potentially a game changer. So I do see it coming, and I, I just love the thought of where yes, this one. That's a good point. Go. That's a good point. So All right, cool. you All got right. the next one? Yeah, number eight. Okay, this one's going to be fun. And we'll try to go a little quicker through these last couple so we can get through all ten. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if you're wondering how to be like everyone else, you're behind the curve. I feel like a lot of marketers just do what someone else does. We copy each other. Uh, rather than experiment and evaluate for ourselves, I feel like we, we kind of flock. Or we're like a biblical plague of locusts. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll come through and chew up all the plants, all the crops, and then move on to the next thing and mm-hmm. leave nothing in their wake. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. Sometimes I feel like we just saturate a channel because we hear about it and we're like, oh, we should do that too. Yeah. And we don't evaluate it. That's not wrong of us if we actually evaluate the effectiveness of it. But we also have to realize that there's a limited life cycle. There's a point with every channel, especially a digital channel, where it's too saturated and your engagement's going to go down, your impressions are going to go down, you're going to have to pay more to reach the same people, and your strategy is going to have to change. And so you don't know that unless you're evaluating it often enough. You can't take anyone else's word for it that, oh, you should still be doing X, Y, and Z, these channels. What does the data say? So this has to do with marketers becoming innovators more often and not just saying, what is everyone else doing? Innovation doesn't start by asking what everyone else is doing. Yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to how can you take some educated guesses and how can you can take some educated risks and move ahead of the flock? And I think that's hugely important. But you're right. I almost feel like Facebook might be at that point right now where we just kind of hit this wall, what it can do and what its capabilities are. And I'm kind of eager to find out what the next big thing is going to be. So we'll see. We'll see what happens, you know. Maybe it's Face Chat or Snapbook. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I will fly through these last couple. The number nine is uh, that a lot of marketing and communications roles can and will be automated in the, I'd say, in the not too distant future. Yeah. And that's, I think that's happening to, already. Yeah, email drips, uh, marketing automation platforms. So when it used used to actually require a human to do these things to send communications out to targeted people, yeah, that's being automated now. So what's the next role for a marketer or communicator that doesn't involve all those types of pieces when the tech stack at your organization is all set up properly and your CRM and marketing automation uh, and drip campaigns are all firing correctly, you're going to have a different focus in your role. So it's just that thought of like, we don't want to think about that, but it's already happening. So what's the next phase of the value that you are bringing? And there are a lot of things that automation can't do yet. I I would just add one thing onto that. I love what you said. The value of what you're bringing was what I pulled out there. And the value of what you're bringing is your expertise on the content. Because you no longer can tout you being an expertise in the actual delivery of the message because it's becoming automated. You have to be an expert in what that content says that will automate that will eventually be automated in healthcare. You better darn well know if you have a new procedure or you have a new doctor, you better darn well know those things up and down, left and right, and diagonal so that you can target better that you can make sure that the messaging is correct. You check all those boxes because when it goes out, it better be compelling, like we said back when we are talking about SEO. So it's not enough to know how the stuff goes out anymore, be an expert on how the stuff goes out anymore. You actually have to be an expert on the actual content. And that's, that's a shift too. Before, I think it was kind of the spray and pray and automate and, and hopefully someone will you know, click on it. It's different now. You have to know this stuff really, really well. What would be worse is that you get five years down the road and those things are happening and you're like, wait, I didn't realize this was going to take over those aspects of my job. So right. we, we slipped this one in there just to 
I love get everyone that. thinking about that. All right, number ten is most marketers think everyone likes uh, thinks like them. So most marketers think everyone thinks like them. I've, I've heard this referred to as the marketer's dilemma by Jay Bear on the Social Pros podcast. So uh, shout out to Jay. Uh, I'm fanboy fanboying a little bit here, but my goodness, <laughs> Jay's awesome. Gushing a little bit, but this concept has really stuck with me because when we're creating a digital experience. And we think, well, for sure, that everyone's going to click on this thing and then this thing and then this, this thing. So let's design it that way. Yeah, and I think I'll just summarize. It's, it's rather than inside looking out, it's outside looking in. What does your customer want to see rather than what do you want your customer to see? That's deep. That's really deep. But it, it really is just a matter of thinking like the customer rather than thinking like the marketer. It sounds uh, like you're marketing forward. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Hashtag rid it. Marketing it. forward. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's easy. But when you're in that eye of the storm and you're doing it day in and day out and you're working with all your colleagues and things like that, it's really easy to lose sight of that. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, we ended on a good note. Hopefully this didn't start any fights in your house and your work. <laughs> uh, with your dog, your cat, you know, uh, this is all good stuff, though. It's all good, good conversations. So thank you for putting those together. Send your hate mail care of Jared Johnson and <laughs> Peter Balistrieri, yeah. Phoenix, Arizona, and it, it'll get to us somewhere. Like, somehow. right? Yeah. Well, it sounds like we'll have to do a part two of this. We have some more unpopular opinions, believe it or not. Yeah, I see more here. So stay tuned to our next podcast coming up soon, number eleven, which maybe that becomes its own segment. It Who may knows? have to be. Who knows at this rate? Yeah. Uh, definitely, let us know what you think about that let's uh let's keep the conversation going and on behalf of peter and myself thanks for tuning in catch us at healthcare wrap on twitter and at healthcarewrap.com and uh on behalf of us both that's a wrap Bye.